0: Let's turn our Bibles to Let's turn our Bibles to First Let me just check if this is on Good, I hope it's Oh no! Let's send our Bibles to Psalm 14, and I'll read the entire Psalm. Psalm 14, the Bible reads, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, For God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Another year is upon us. By the grace of God, we've been ushered into 2022. And as we plan, think through, or hoping that we'll do things differently this year than we've done before, one of the things I'd like to highlight to all of us this morning is that if we have any hope of doing things differently this year, it should begin with God. Because anything divorced from God will be simply the same cycle of life on earth. But a return to a biblical understanding of God will once again cause us to revisit those truths we've known and treasure, revisit them and ask God to help us even grow in those areas that we've come to understand uh, or accept concerning God. The only hope of difference is a return to a true knowledge of God or a return into a searching and seeking to know God more and more in this year. There must be that return to a theoretical but as well as a practical acceptance of the existence of God, that God exists. And from that point onwards, you begin to ask yourself, God who exists, what is it that he wants me to know, to understand, and to do for him as a child of God? Or if I'm not a Christian and I know that God exists, what is it that he requires of me? Psalm 14 is basically a a lament. Psalm 14 laments a people who have rejected God. And the psalmist begins with the word, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then when you read Psalm 53, it's almost uh, similar to Psalm 14. Again, we are reminded of this important issue of the existence of God. And then when you get to Romans chapter 1, now the Apostle Paul begins to give an exposition Of Psalm 14 verse 1 and 2. When Paul begins to address the issue of the fact that what can be known about God has been made clear. But human beings suppress that knowledge. And when the Bible says something once. It calls for attention. When the Bible says it twice It really calls for attention When the Bible repeats and says it three times You must really ponder and ask yourself Why is God emphasizing this aspect, this truth? God, it is enough for him to say it once he's God and we must all listen but when he begins to address it from three different points, all of us must pause and really ask ourselves the question what does God want me to know, to understand, to accept, and to live by? And Psalm 14 calls us to ponder and think of the existence of God. The psalmist deals with the reality of the fact that God exists and that God's people live among those who deny God and are being bombarded every day from all angles by the ungodly people being tormented, being tried and tested. And you see the psalmist ends on and note of yearning for salvation. For he says, the day will come when the Lord will restore the fortunes of his people and Israel, Israel will be glad. And the, point, the bottom line is the psalmist shows that one's acceptance of the existence of God affects all areas of your life an acceptance of the existence of God affects all areas of our lives. And the opposite is true. A failure to accept the existence of God brings negative vices in all areas of our lives as we'll see as we proceed. So this morning we'll be looking at verse 1 and verse 2 and basically dealing with the theme of the denial of God's existence is the tragic folly of all men in Adam, of all human beings. By nature, we are a people who come into this world in rebellion against God. We do not want to accept that God exists until Christ changes our hearts, changes our views, and shows us that God exists and exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's open up verse 1 and verse 2 and draw some lessons this morning. The first thing I'd like us to see is the confession of human folly. The confession of human folly. Verse 1a. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And this confession is in those words. It is in the words recorded to us, or in the words of the fool when he speaks about God. As far as he's concerned, there is no God. Now, in the Hebrew text, the words there is are not present. And so, what the Hebrew text reads is that the fool says no God. That's what it reads the fool says no God. And the emphasis there is that the one who's really saying there's no God is not that he has, that person has got scientific or historical or whatever proof to show that God does, does not exist. But the point there is that a person who is corrupt, born in sin, the first thing they say is that no god i don't want any god in my life i don't want to have any dealing with the god of the universe so it's not so much that there is no god but that i don't want god in my life and so the fool there as the psalmist is telling us is His confession is theoretical as well as practical in the sense that his confession leads to his lifestyle. The second half of this one tells us they are corrupt, they do abominable deeds. It's as a result of this confession, no God for me. It's not, I know, yes, it's possible God exists. He's somewhere there, but as long as I'm concerned, no God for me. And the word that is used for fool there, in Hebrew, it's the word nabo. and I'm sure it reminds you of First Samuel 25, the man named nabo. But there, the Hebrew word is nabo. and it is in in it's in the plural form. It's not singular. So it's not about a specific person, but it's about a category of uh, persons or individuals. The psalmist is highlighting that a foolish person is not a single individual, but it's a category of individuals. Or it's a group of individuals. It's those individuals who've said, and purposefully so, that in our lives no God. Those who says in their hearts I will have no dealing with God. And that Hebrew word nabo signifies more than foolishness. It talks about perversively foolish or recklessly foolish. Or wickedly foolish. And the idea there is that this person or this category of individuals who are deemed as foolish or fools are individuals who you not want to develop a relationship with because of their behavior, because of their conduct. It's the kind of people that their conduct just puts you off. And the only reason why people would want to have dealings with such a person it's because of personal gain or maybe such an individual has accumulated wealth for themselves and therefore when you attach yourself to such a person it's because of personal gain or because of wanting the things that they do have And so the psalmist there is very clear that they are individuals. They are people on earth who've determined in their hearts no God for me. No God for me. And James Montgomery Boyce writes. The reason the person is a fool is not merely mistake or mistaken knowledge. It's that he knows there is a God and yet chooses to believe and act as if there is no God. The reason why the one who denies God's existence is called a fool in the scriptures is that he knows that there is a God. And yet he chooses to believe and act as if there is no God. And the open denial of God's existence is arrogant, moral foolishness. That's what the scriptures do tell us. And the scriptures is highlighting this truth that if men deny God's existence secretly in their heart and it's called foolishness, how much greater folly when they openly deny God with their mouth, words, and their deeds. If the scripture is saying, where you are seated, in your heart, you've said no God, and yet God says that's folly, how much more love when you live out your life as if there is no God, when you conduct yourself as if there is no God, when you utter words as if there is no God, that's greater folly. Because you know there is a God. You know that even though you've been taught about evolution, When you sit to examine it and look at the creation of God, you know that there's no way you are a product of a big bang, a product of an accident. When you look at how God has created the universe, and now that each component of the universe functions just in the right way and in the right order. You know there must have been someone who designed all these things. Just think for a moment how that the biggest land animal or the biggest mammal on earth, which is an elephant, by the way, feeds on grass. And imagine if the elephant was like a lion and it survived on meat. How many of you does the elephant need to eat on a day to be full? Or how many of us? Maybe those of us who've been blessed with bodies, maybe two or three. But some of you, the elephant needs ten of you. Now, if there are ten elephants, who needs ten of you? By the end of the year, we will be done. That's God's wisdom. Grass is available throughout. And when you ponder to think about such things, you know there must have been someone out there who did... That this thing should be here and should behave in such a manner. But the issue for you is that you've said, because of your sinfulness, no God for me. Because you know that the moment you say there is God, it calls for moral accountability. You know that the moment you say, there's God who created me, then one day I will stand and give an account to this God. And therefore, in order to enjoy your sins, you say, no God for me. And you plunge yourself into sin with impunity. Men persuade their hearts to deny the existence of God. The being of God. So that they will have this deception that they have no superior authority to account for, too. And therefore they can enjoy their sin, all manner of sin, because they have deceived themselves. There is no God. This is why the scripture says the, this denial is, is a moral issue. It's not that there is no evidence that God does not exist. No, it's a moral issue. It has to do with your heart. The moment one accepts that God exists, what they are saying is that they are morally accountable to him and therefore they must conduct themselves in such a way that it resonates and pleases the one who created you so the question I ask you who secretly in your heart deny God What excuse do you have? You know that it's simply because of the love of your sin. That's all. The second thing we see is the cause of human folly you've seen the confession of human folly now let's look at the cause of human folly, verse 1b they are corrupt they do abominable deeds the denial of God's existence in the heart produces great wickedness in life The denial of God's existence in the heart produces great wickedness in life. And the the psalmist there is telling us that the cause of human folly is that they are corrupt. They have corrupt natures. They are born in sin. They corrupt themselves by their ungodly thoughts. They corrupt themselves by wicked practices. And they corrupt others with their evil communication, their evil principles, their evil practices. And they are bad examples of their wicked lives. The psalmist is saying the cause is that they are corrupt. That's the cause of human folly. It's from this corrupt nature where this confession springs from. That because my heart is corrupt, I don't want any spiritual being in my life to hold me accountable. I will do what I want. And the lines of. The verse 1b display the moral fruits of unbelief in the heart men do what they do because men are what they are they are corrupt men do abominable deeds precisely because they are corrupt they can't do otherwise their corrupt nature produces wicked deeds and so we see there that this unbelief in the heart it is the epitome and the foundation of their corrupt nature therefore unbelief in the heart can only give rise and birth to a life of wickedness. That's all. This unbelief in that cannot produce fruits that are pleasing to God. Fruits that are good because it is, they are stemming from a poisonous plant. And the psalmist is clear there. They are corrupt, and therefore they do abominable deeds. They do things that are inconceivable. They behave in a manner that is hostile to others because they are corrupt, and everything they do is against everything that stands for good right and righteousness. The psalmist is telling us here that they are corrupt. In the picture there the psalmist is giving us it's, it's this tendency of having uh, a willingness to dishonesty in return for money or personal gain. So that word corrupt is... It, is, is, is full with meaning. It's this tendency to show a willingness or to have, to have a willingness to dishonesty in order to retain gain, personal gain, or financial gain, whatever gain it is. And this is why Human beings, human beings easily take advantage of one another. Because you look at your friends, you look at your neighbor, and you see that you can use them for personal gain, and you go about in a dishonest manner pretending to be their friends, pretending to wanting to help them, and therefore you know your end is to gain some personal gain, or to have some personal gain. Or some financial gain. The reason is simple. The Bible tells us. They are corrupt. Human beings. Take advantage of one another. deceive one another. Mistreats one another. Why? They are corrupt. And this corruption. We are told. At least what. They do abominable deeds. And again the picture there is a tendency of causing moral dislike. And these deeds are performed intentionally and consciously. So what the psalmist is telling us there. That he is a person with a corrupt nature who dislikes who comes up with a plan, a well-thought-through plan to bring about dishonest for the purpose of personal gain? And so that when those around hear what someone else has done, they are seeing themselves, but how could someone do such a thing? Oh, the person thought through it they had a plan and they they schemed dishonesty for gain and everything they did was pretense in order to gain from you and we must accept that this this is true of all human beings in Adam. The rebellion of the wicked infest for the worse the world in which they live. These corrupt acts are seen every day. Greg Nichols, in his book The Doctrine of God, says this and I quote, when he talks about the corrupt nature of unbelievers. They spread folly like the wind scatters seeds. They hold nothing sacred. They despise everything, they despise every sanctity of God's law. And this is the the effect of this corrupt nature. Spread, spreading corruption like the wind scatters wind, seeds. Holding nothing sacred. And therefore no fear of God's law. No fear of God himself. And we see that all this is as a result of a denier of God's existence. And this denier of God's existence produces every kind and degree of wickedness it produces disrespect, rebellion, anarchy, tyranny, hatred, murder, sexual perversion, incest, rape, homosexuality, ingratitude, laziness, slander the least can go on and the reason is that men are corrupt and they do abominable deeds and this is why a godless society cannot sustain moral decency it can't a godless society cannot sustain moral decency godlessness produces all manner of wickedness it causes men to be vicious to one another only the fear of God can sustain a decent society. When men forsake God they begin to disintegrate and destroy themselves. And sadly human beings remain adamant That they can have a decent and peaceful society without Christ. But God's word exposes their error. They are corrupt and they do abominable deeds. A story is, in fact, it's a book. I've forgotten the author, but it's an Indian. And the title of the book is the book that made your world. And the author is trying to argue to show the Western world that one of the things that helped them to, to be where they are is because of their view and knowledge of God, for this acceptance of the existence of God. And is arguing showing them that a departure from that is what is bringing about a lot of vices now that the western world is facing. And so he gives a scenario in the book where I was on a plane from London going to to India. And so there was an Indian himself who's also Indian but living in the the UK if I'm not mistaken. And then there's an an African and Egyptian. And so he was saying just how he was amazed when he got to, uh, to the UK that seem the, the society was based on trust and so system were running based on trust and he said he remember one time when he met two young ladies he didn't disclose where they're from and his argument was that they grew up in a society that does not that was not built on trust. So he asked these two young ladies where, could, where the booth was for him to buy tickets to get on a train. And so these two young ladies said, why bother? <laughs> Just get on a train, no one is going to check because no one checks anyway. And so he was saying, now you see, that's a difference. If the society is based on trust. For me to get on a train, I need to pay. If, whether one checks me or not I need to pay but these young ladies grew up elsewhere and so they are abusing the system then he gave another example of as they are working in the, in the farms uh, in, 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 in England so there was this farm that sells milk and so there was a milk machine so all you do is you leave your money get your, your milk bottle container and go and so the Indian laughed and said, that can't work in India. They will steal the milk. Then the Egyptian laughed. He said, in Africa, it's been worse. They will steal the milk, steal the machine, and look for the cows. Now, the bottom line was, one of the things we don't realize is that because of the failure to know that you are morally accountable to God, and the system is based on trust at the end of the day it's the consumers that end up paying for all these mischiefs and so he says so why should the mu- the farmer be honest in his dealings if people he's selling to are not honest with him so what is he going to do he's going to start putting water in the milk and say it's 100% m- uh, creamy milk but yet he's added water And then the government will hear of that, and then they'll employ a milk inspector. But what will make the milk inspector be honest? Because the system is not based on honesty. So the farmer will bribe the milk inspector, and the milk inspector will give a report that the milk is okay, and at the end of the day, it is still the consumers paying for their dishonesty. And the bottom line is that your view of God affects everything around you. The reason why you want to be honest and hardworking is because you know God demands that you must do so. And one day you give an account to God. So whether people are watching you or not, you will do your best. And this is what the psalmist is saying. But the reason why human beings deny the existence of God is because they are corrupt. They are corrupt. And therefore, their deeds are wickedness. That's a cause of the human folly. And quickly look at the, the completeness of the human folly. It affects all areas of life, it affects everyone in this world. The completeness of human folly. Verse 1c and verse 2. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And what we see there is that the denial of God's existence in the heart, it is the tragic folly of all human beings human beings in Adam we are born like that all of us we come into this world in rebellion against God we come into this world wanting to have nothing to do with this God we come into this world saying no God for me This is a tragic folly of all human beings in Adam. This is what we are by nature. And the Bible says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And what does God find? There is none who does not. Good. And you say the display the psalmist gives us, he displays a universal spray of unbelief in the heart, of heart atheism. It sprays across the world, it's universal, it's a universal problem. This moral virus has affected all of us. That's how we come into this world. That's how we are born into this world. We are born with heart and belief. We don't believe in God. We don't want to have anything to do with God. We want to rip God out of our lives, out of our pictures and do what our corrupt natures want, we are told there that the Lord looks down from heaven and this phrase in the scriptures especially in the Old Testament when we are told God looks down from heaven it it was always that God was going to descend on judgment Remember in Genesis chapter chapter 11, when God looked down from heaven and he saw what was happening at the Tower of Babel, and then he descended and destroyed them. In Genesis 18, when God looked down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and saw the wickedness that was happening there, the Lord descended and destroyed them. these two examples serve as a warning. In both cases, God pronounced judgment on the wickedness and he destroyed them. And again, here the psalmist is giving us this picture that (coughs) God is looking down And he's seeing that there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after him. And the only thing that remains is for God to destroy the nation. God to destroy the wickedness. God to destroy human beings. There's no one who does God. No, not one. Thanks be to God. Even though this is the reality of all human beings, we are born in rebellion against God. We are all atheists at the heart. We do as we please. We live as we please. Thanks be to God that the gospel of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ changes that Christ came into this world to save sinners he died for our sins so that we who are atheists at the heart can be changed and be reconciled to God who exists conversion is the only cure for the heart atheism Jesus came so that he can introduce God to us. He came so that we may know the Father. And anyone who's in Christ, he's come to know the Father. Why? Because the Father and Christ are one. That's what the Bible tells us. And therefore, if you're here this morning, and you're saying to yourself, there's no God. No God for me. The scriptures are clear to you. You are a fool. Because you know that God exists. You know that God is there. You know that the very reason why you're alive today is because God allowed you to wake up from your bed and see the break of his day. Reason. Is that you are corrupt You are full of sin And you want to live your life With impunity And have nothing to do with God But the good news is Christ came into this world To die for sinners Such as yourself and I He came and conquered death In Christ we are reconciled to God Christ Has come So that we may know the Father knowing the Father that we may have life and have life in abundance. This sound shows us that the source of atheism is in the soul the human soul. It resides in a heart, a heart that has said, no, God, for me. And because that heart has said, no, God, for me, it lives and does as it pleases. And the psalmist is showing us that the problem is the heart of man. Atheism is not a mental or an intellectual problem. It is a moral problem. Human beings don't want to be morally accountable to God. They they don't want to be morally accountable for their deeds. So they will blame society, they will blame others, and yet they know that the problem is my heart. What I do stems from my heart. And if I can have a solution to the problem that is in my heart, all oh, we'll will be well. But for now, let me blame others for my problems. So I'll blame how I was brought up. i was blame where I was brought up. I'll blame how my parents and everyone else except myself. And the sun is clear. The problem is with your heart. You indulge in sin. You enjoy your sin. Your heart is the problem. And God's solution to that problem is Christ. Christ came. Christ died that we may be reconciled. And the day will come when you stand before God. And God will show to you that the problem was your heart. Those, those times we heard the gospel, everything in you was saying, I will not do it. Because I love my sin. and you'll be ushered into the lake of fire. Now is the time for you to come to the true knowledge of God. And it begins with belief in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Don't continue deceiving yourself that there is no God when what you are actually saying in your heart for me no God no God Christ care that you may know the true God the living God and it begins by him changing that heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh a heart that desires to know this God To live by this God's rule, to live by this God's standard, and knowing that one day, I will give an account to God. What would be your excuse that day? I leave that question for you to ask.